0: It's unbelievable, standing before you this morning, you know, God called us to ministry back in 2015, and we have just been pursuing whatever it is and wherever it is that he wanted us to go, and it looks very different now than, than we originally thought, but we are uh, we really just a testimony to his grace and his mercy, and we thank you guys, our home, our home, that we're able to come back and, and do ministry with you, and we so we thank you for all your prayers. We also thank you for joining us this morning as we dig into God's Word. And for those of you online, thank you also for joining us. Have you enjoyed hearing from your pastors these last several weeks? It's been pretty awesome, hasn't it? Pastor Chad kicked us off. He exhorted us to pray that we would pound the gates of heaven to wreck the gates of hell. And then Pastor Ricky, he challenged us that we would live out our faith with a pure, true religion. Pastor Danny instructed us on the cadences of the church, provoking us to examine whether or not we're walking to the beat, to our own beat or to the beat of the church. And then last week, Pastor Doyle reminded us to let our light shine before others that they would see our good works and they would give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So today I get to wrap up the series titled From the Heart as we look forward to Pastor Ed bringing the word to us next week. And as I prayed and meditated over the things that God has made my heart, really sensitive to, the thing that really resounded was that he has made me sensitive and and give me a passion to be a disciple who makes disciples. And that's what I want to encourage each one of us today. And what's so cool and so providential is how what every pastor has already shared is all a piece of that. It's all a piece of disciples making disciples. And it's all part of the glorious command that we're going to take a look at today. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, will you turn with me to Matthew Chapter 28, and we're going to take a look at verses 16 through 20. It's Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. As you get there, I'm going to let you know that I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable. I'm going to read verses 16, 17, 18, and then I'm going to ask you to read verses 19 and 20 with me. And during that time, I want you to bask in the lack of comfort as it's exactly how Christ has called us to live. So let's read verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's read this together. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We pray with me? Most heavenly and gracious Father God, we just come before you. Father, unworthy to proclaim your message, but blessed that you have called me to stand in this place. God, I pray that you would be softening hearts around the auditorium, Father, we thank you for the privilege to read your word. Make yourself great and make me small, Father. We love you, but only because you first loved us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning's sermon title is called Multiply, but it has a question mark on the end. Now we, uh, many of us, know that that God has given us a command to multiply. Go make disciples. It's not something that's, that's foreign to us if we've spent any time in the church or spent much time in the word. However, it's multiply with a question mark because I wonder if when people look into our life, if that's the way that they would see that. Would they look into our life and be like, multiply? That's the task that you've been given, to multiply? So my proposition this morning is this, that Jesus commands his followers to be disciple-making disciples, baptizing and teaching observance of all of his commands. Now we pick up this text in Matthew 28 after Jesus resurrection by about 20 to 35 days and as Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 15:6 the crowd who would receive this message numbered more than 500. Now scholars don't know exactly where this mountain is that they're referencing but John MacArthur eloquently referenced it this way. He said wherever the mountain was it became a place of great sacredness where more than 500 of Jesus disciples came with their weaknesses, their confusion, their doubts, misgivings, and fears. They were not the most humanly capable people of the world, nor were they the most intelligent or powerful or influential. But they were where the Lord wanted them to be, and that obedience gave evidence to their willingness to be used in his service. So like Isaiah, after his vision in the temple, they said in effect, here I am, send me. Now, it's because of verse 18, where Jesus explicitly states that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that we can camp out on the central mission of all believers in verses 19 and 20. And that mission is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we will finish the rest of that a little later. Now it's important to identify as we get into this text that there are individual and collective mandates here. Now there's an individual mandate that Jesus gives us right here in verse 19 to go therefore and make disciples and then collectively to baptize them and teach them to observe all that he has commanded us. But the first question that we run into here is as we see go therefore and make disciples is what is a disciple? We know the term, we are familiar with the disciples, but what is a disciple? And can we be obedient to Christ without really knowing what it means? So let's unpack and take a look at a couple verses that reveal the true meaning of being a disciple. And in John 8, 31 and 32, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, he writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this way, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So at a very rudimentary level, we see the foundation of being a disciple of Jesus. A foundation built upon abiding in Jesus and his word and then walking in the same manner in which he walked. So this morning, we're going to take a look and we're going to explore five characteristics of being a disciple of Jesus. Now, there are many characteristics, and this is something we could really spend the rest of our life studying. But for this morning's purpose, we're going to take a look at just five of those. And what's beneficial in this task is that the five things that we're going to apply to ourselves internally are the same ways in which we are going to go and make disciples. Now we're going to build out an acronym of discipleship that aligns with this Great Commission passage and really flows beautifully through our mission here at Heartland. So in descending order, we're going to walk through loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. So the first point is this, that disciples of Jesus are scriptural, S, they're scriptural people. Now the Bible is the only infallible and authoritative book that provides us with a glimpse at the grandeur of our Lord and reveals himself to his creation. You cannot know him apart from his word. Sure, you can look all around his creation and know that there is a God. You can see him revealed generally in that. You can even look throughout the universe and see his power and know of his existence. But you don't really know him. And how can you obey someone who you don't really know? And to be honest with you, ignorance never waves guilt, does it? It's like saying that you've read a book because you've seen the cover of the book. That's not so. Or maybe you got pulled over and you got a speeding ticket, but you're like, I didn't know what the speed limit was. Still guilty. When I was a younger man, I was pulled over for having a tag light out. Driving along, had a tag light out, got pulled over. <laughs> totally frustrated. Not as much frustrated, with the, partially frustrated with the fact that I got pulled over for that, but. I'd been pulled over two weeks previously for speeding. So I was like, ah, here we go. <laughs> and if you've been pulled over for a day, it can be frustrating to you as well. But what's so frustrating is that sometimes we don't even know. We don't know that we're guilty of that. So when a police officer shows up to our window and, and states this offense of which we're guilty for, it takes us by surprise. But it doesn't waive our guilt, does it? The fine I paid, unfortunately, they didn't waive that. And I had to pay that fine and every other one. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 states it this way He says, For the word of, of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So a disciple of Christ is in the word and disciples others to be in the word. So the question is, are you in the word as a disciple? The second point is this, that disciples of Jesus are communal. See, they are communal. Now, disciples of Jesus are communal in multiple ways. There's a community with God that we have. There's also community with each other. Now, being communal with God takes place not only in being scriptural disciples, but also through the time that we spend in prayer. Pastor Chad, a few weeks ago, reminded us of Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica when he said, to pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Prayer is a characteristic of a disciple. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're communal with God through all of the spiritual disciplines that he's given us for our sanctification to make us look more like Jesus. These allow us to know him, to obey him, and ultimately to love him. Being scriptural and communal disciples enables us to love Jesus better. And I want to share a story that we see this. We see how being a scriptural And a communal disciple of Christ enables us to live in such a way that really we're living outside of ourselves. So let me share the story with you of a a guy named Pastor Kim. Pastor Kim in the 1950s was in North Korea and says, For years, Pastor Kim and 27 of his flock of Korean saints had lived in hand-dug beneath the earth. Then as the communists were building a road, they discovered the Christians living underground. The officials brought them out before a crowd of 30,000 in the village of Goksan for a public trial and execution. They were told, deny Christ or you will die. But they refused. At this point, the head communist officer ordered four children from the group seized and had them prepared for hanging. With ropes tied around all their necks, the officer again commanded the parents to deny Christ. Not one. One. Of the believers would deny their faith. They told the children, we will see you soon in heaven. And the children died quietly. The officer then called for a steamroller to be brought in. He forced the Christians to lie on the ground in its path. As its engine revved, they were given one last chance to recount their faith in Jesus. And again, they refused. As the steamroller began to inch forward, the Christians began to sing a song that they had often sung together as their bones and bodies were crushed. Under the pressure of the massive rollers, their lips uttered these words. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Thee alone I seek, more love to thee. Let sorrow do its work, more love to thee. Then shall my latest breath whisper thy praise. This be the parting cry my heart shall raise. More love, O Christ, to thee. You see, these disciples of Christ, if they didn't know our Lord, if they weren't scriptural, if they weren't communal with our God, would they have been willing to offer their children to let their children die? Would they have been willing to lie there before the steamroller? You see, they knew, they knew God. But well, there's another thing that they knew, and that was community. As we read, they lie there together in community, singing. We witnessed their communal bonds as disciples of Christ, which is the second part of that. Community with God and community with each other. And you know, God could have chosen to create his church in a myriad of different ways, infinitely, because it's only limited by whatever he would do. But he chose to create us in this fashion, that we are meant to be in community with him and with one another. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul provides an exhaustive list of the parts of the body, how God has arranged and chosen each one, and how the many parts all make up one body. He details how each is of paramount importance, and even those that seem weaker truly are indispensable. And because God has composed this body with no division and with members that care for one another, if one member suffers, we all suffer, just like we saw. And if one member is honored, we all rejoice. Now, we are living in a complex time, aren't we? We see uncertainty all around us. We see, and we have been a part of church this year that has looked vastly different than anything that we've ever known. It has just been a challenging year. We have all kinds of brothers and sisters who are not able to attend with us, and many for good reason. But as the body, with Christ as our head, we need to remember that if we can be here, we need to be here, not neglecting to meet together and encouraging one another. You see, If my hand fails to function as God designed it to function, it doesn't just impact my hand. My hand's not the only thing that feels the effects of not performing as God has created it. The rest of my body now has to compensate. So the point is this, that we need each other. We need every one of you in order to function as God has called us together at Heartland. So a disciple of Christ is communal with God and is communal with one another. Third, disciples of Jesus are reproducible. Are they're reproducible? This may seem redundant, but really the crux of this is what you want to re- reproduce. As disciples of Christ, we should desire to reproduce that which we see of our Lord and Savior Jesus as we walk in the Spirit. And we should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in us. And we will do that with gentleness and respect. But the very premise of being a disciple-making disciple is that we would share the gospel. And really, sadly, this is something that we as Americans stink at. You know, our culture didn't come up with all their preconceived notions about Christianity Because people who love Jesus and profess the name of Jesus went to their door to share Jesus with them in love. They didn't see it. They didn't come up with that because they watched all the greatest things about us. They They saw the sin that we all struggle with. Now, I'm not saying that we won't be rejected. We absolutely will. I'm not saying that we won't be hated for our faith. We know that to be true as well. Because we know that darkness hates light, but light overcomes darkness. We can even look in our own lives and we can see spiritual warfare that takes place. We know that there's a battle raging. Are you familiar with Penn and and Teller? A few years ago, I heard Penn Gillette, a lifelong atheist. He was talking about Christianity and he said something that really spoke into my heart. He said, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, this is what he said. How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize, evangelize, share the gospel, tell them about Jesus? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible, and not tell them that? This can't be us he's talking about, right? Is he talking about the church? We're Christians. We don't hate anyone. We know we can't hate anyone. Pastor Doyle reminded us last week that 1 John 4, 8 says this, that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. But Penn is absolutely right, isn't he? How much do we have to hate others that we would keep the only hope of eternity hidden? from them. Do you keep the gospel hidden, or are you actively sharing Christ that others may hear and believe? Because the disciple of Christ is reproducible and shares the gospel. Number four, disciples of Jesus are accountable. A, they're accountable. The idea that we can have this personal relationship with Jesus, we don't really have to tell anyone about him, we don't have to tell anyone about how we're doing, to be honest, it kind of sounds exactly the opposite of what he tells us in his word, doesn't it? Accountability is a big, big part of our faith. Just like when I told you about getting pulled over for a tag light, I'm not just responsible and accountable for the things that I want to confess or the things that I'm willing to own as sin. So it's very important, vitally important, that we have brothers and sisters who can speak truth into our life and point us to the cross. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 says this, "'The two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm.' But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 6. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. All of this speaks to a communal faith being lived out with accountability. And a disciple of Christ has accountability and encourages and emphasizes accountability while making disciples. Finally, disciples of Jesus are missional. and they're missional. You know, it's easy to hear the word missions and, and maybe even compartmentalize it. We can draw up a mental picture that's, that maybe goes to like a third world country. Maybe there's running water. You know, I don't know what mental picture you have of missions, but a lot of us, when we think of that, we think of a place far away. But in reality, the mission field is everywhere, isn't it? Why else would Jesus have said during his ascension in Acts 1.8 that the disciples were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? Because the mission field is all around us. And to be honest, we can look all around us and see that, can't we? How about when we look at the state of our nation and how much turmoil and unrest has taken place this year? You know, just a few short years ago, we were watching Christians being murdered by ISIS all around the world. It's easy to hear that and feel like that's in a place far away. That's that's across the ocean. That doesn't impact us. But to be honest with you, it really does. Did you know that central Florida... And the I-4 corridor is one of the fastest-growing areas in the country. It's imperative that we be a people who are disciples making disciples. We have been commanded to do this. Our community is changing rapidly. And we have the opportunity, opportunity to impact it as it changes. Do you want to see Christ move mightily in this area? Do you want Polk County to be a springboard for what happens around the state, around the world? Or do you want to hide your light and let our community take on the face of what we've witnessed across the nation? Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, he says that unbelievers cannot call on him in whom they've never believed, and they cannot believe in whom they've never heard. Is that okay with you? Is it okay with you that mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, sons, daughters will die and they will go to hell? As disciples of Christ, that cannot sit well in our soul. It cannot sit well that one would perish. We have to love our world. And we have opportunities to be disciple-making disciples all around us here at Heartland. And one of the best ways to be a disciple-making disciple is through our small groups, and there are plenty of ways to get plugged in with those. We have many ministries here that emphasize loving God, loving each other, and loving our world. And we're continuing to press forward as disciple-making disciples with Compassion International, as you see on the sides. If you didn't have a chance to worship with us last night, what a tremendous blessing it was. And we still have children from El Salvador that need to be adopted. And these funds that are given to them help them become disciples of Christ, among many other things. But hear my heart. Don't adopt these kids to feel like you're in in the mission by sending $38 a month. Instead, get in the mission by adopting them, praying for them, writing to them, and then visiting them in June when we have a trip planned to go and further disciple-making work of our Father. Brothers and sisters, the world is tired of seeing Christians who sit on the sideline instead of getting into the game in which we profess to love. It's time to take being disciples seriously so that we can obey the command of Christ to go and make disciples. So scram. Go. Make disciples. We will baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that He's commanded. And Jesus gives us this sweet, sweet promise to close us out in verse 20. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a sweet promise that as we go, as we're obedient, he is right there with us. But he's always there with us, isn't he? Now, as we move into a time of invitation. I'm going to invite you again to get uncomfortable. Being a disciple of Christ is not a place that we just live in comfort. So I'm going to invite you to get uncomfortable. So as you bow your head with me, you know, maybe the spirit is working in your heart right now. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you're hearing what it is to be a disciple and you're thinking, you know, that is not Christianity that I've ever seen. And because you've never seen that, you have been repelled from surrendering. Maybe you're not a disciple of Christ, but you understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you, like all of us, fall short of God's glory. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death, and we deserve to die because that's the only way that justice can be served before an infinitely holy God. But God, rich in mercy and love, desiring that all men would be saved, sent his son to pay the debt that our sin has created, that he would take our place on the cross of Calvary and we would be covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Maybe you are a disciple of Christ and maybe you've been struggling to be a disciple, let alone make disciples. Well, brothers and sisters, a life marked by obedience begins with one simple act of obedience. And maybe you need to come and surrender something to God. Come lay it at his feet. Leave it on the cross. Go to the back and pray with our prayer teams who are waiting for you. Whatever you need to do to stand before him in full surrender, just do it. You know, I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know how he's leading you to respond. But if you'll be obedient to that, he will get all the glory because that is the mark of a disciple. Will you pray with me? Most heavenly and gracious Father God, we just give you all the praise and glory. You are an infinitely holy God. And Father, you have called us to be a part of your redemptive plan. And we confess that we don't do that and we don't take that nearly as seriously as you have commanded it upon us. But we thank you that through the blood of Jesus, you would forgive us of that and all of our sin. Move in our hearts today, Father. As we leave this place, help us to go and make disciples as you've called us to do. We love you, but only because you first loved us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.